Well, welcome to our New Testament survey once again. We are taking uh, the books of the New Testament, one book at a time, each week. We've worked our way through the four Gospels, and so this evening we find ourselves uh, in the book of Acts, uh, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So if you would, go ahead and turn there with me. Now, this is really uh, volume two uh, to the Gospel according to Luke, and so uh, we would identify Luke as the author of the book of Acts. Uh, this is testified to in the early church, uh, as early as the, the mid-second century, uh, there were compilations of uh, books of Scripture put together, which included the book of Acts and attributed authorship to Luke. Uh, the early church father Irenaeus wrote somewhere right around 200 A.D. Uh, and mentions Luke as the author both of the gospel and of the book of Acts. Luke, of course, is a doctor. Uh, who travels with the Apostle Paul, and so we'll see that tonight when he enters the story and begins to use the word we instead of they uh, as he writes about uh, Paul's journeys. Now, the book was likely written in the mid to late 60s A.D. Uh, of course, he wrote the book of Luke first, and this would be the second volume, and we can see uh, right at the beginning uh, Acts chapter 1 that he mentions uh, the same person that he mentioned at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. He says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So this is the second volume. He's mentioning the same person. We said when we looked at the Gospel of Luke that this was possibly uh, a supporter, a patron uh, that supported Luke as he investigated these things, interviewed people, and wrote uh, these two volumes. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, he said, for Theophilus, that Theophilus might have certainty uh, in his understanding of the things that he had been taught concerning Christ. Now, he doesn't say that at the beginning of the book of Acts, but we'll see as we go through here that his purpose seems to be, in writing to this man Theophilus and, and to others as well, uh, to give some assurance and certainty to the Gentiles, to the Greek uh, Christians, that they were indeed a part of the, the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, so he's given Theophilus a certainty concerning Jesus and the things he had been taught about Jesus. Now he appears to be giving him a certainty that, yes, even as a Gentile, you are included as part of the body of Christ, the church that he is building. It likely was completed um, near sometime while Paul was uh, imprisoned in Rome. That's where the book ends, with Paul in prison in Rome, and so Luke uh, probably completed it at that point, and that's where they were at that point in history, so he, couldn't, he didn't write the future. He wrote to where they were uh, and then published it for Theophilus and for uh, the rest of us to read. Um, as we work through the book of Acts, there is one primary theme that we'll see recurring over and over again, but uh, there's a secondary theme I want to mention first, and that is right near the beginning of the book of Acts, and we'll see this in, in a few minutes, but 
in particularly in chapter 2, uh, Pentecost happens. And, and so we have Jews from all over the world, proselytes, non-Jews who have converted to Judaism that are there in Jerusalem for the feast. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is poured out. Peter begins to preach because people were speaking. Um, and so we have the, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit, uh, particularly in chapter 2, but throughout the rest of the book, there'll be mentions of that as well. And, and we'll look, when we look at chapter 2 in just a moment, but this is uh, a very much referenced back to Joel chapter 2 and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that was prophesied there. But the main theme that we'll see recurring as we work our way through the book of Acts uh, has to do with the Word of God or the Word of the Lord or the Gospel. Uh, some phrase, the word of God, the word of the Lord, the word of salvation, is used at least 25 times that I counted in the book of Acts. And interestingly, it is often paired with words such as grew, multiplied, or spread. Uh, and so we'll see that over and over again. It's not even just that the church is growing, but it'll say that the word of God grew and multiplied. Uh, and so very much the word the, the gospel being preached, the message of Christ being preached uh, to the world is the primary theme of the book of Acts. And we'll see that as we move through the, the book. If we were to outline the book, I would just simply outline it this way. Chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 7 is God's glory to Jerusalem. Then chapter 7, verse 8, through chapter 9, verse 31, is God's glory to Samaria. And then the rest of the book, from chapter 9, verse 32, through the end of the book, is God's glory to the ends of the earth. Uh, and so that's kind of even how Luke outlines it right here at the beginning. Uh, when we look at Luke chapter 1, uh, he begins with the ascension of Christ. And so he gives us a few of Christ's words to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. Uh, and one of those things is the disciples are asking Christ about the kingdom and when it will be established. And Jesus tells them, that's not for you to know. But then he says in verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And so Luke seems to kind of organize the material in that way. The testimony of the apostles in Jerusalem, uh, the glory of God made known through the preaching of the word in Jerusalem, and then in the next section, that spreading out to all Judea and Samaria, and then the, the majority of the book uh, is the word of God, the glory of God being proclaimed to the nations, to the end of the world. So right there in verse 8, though, when Jesus says this, that the Holy Spirit, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, uh, he's referencing or alluding back to some passages in Isaiah that are worth mentioning. Isaiah, of course, was presenting uh, some visions and images of the end of the age and of the, the coming kingdom. Uh, and so in Isaiah 32, 15, uh, the prophet says, until the Spirit is poured upon us from on high and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field and the fruitful field is counted as a forest. So there's this phrase about the Spirit being poured out upon us uh, in Isaiah 32, 15. Then in Isaiah 43, 
verse 10, the prophet writes, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there is no God formed, nor shall there be after me. So Jesus says, you are my, after the Spirit is poured out upon you, you'll be my witnesses. He's borrowing these phrases from Isaiah. Uh, and then in Isaiah 49, verse 6, we read this. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And so there we, we see uh, Jacob, which is Israel, Judah, and as well the Gentiles and the ends of the earth, which is a phrase that Jesus borrows here in uh, Acts 1, verse 8. And so uh, very much alluding back to these passages in Isaiah, to the word of God going forth from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Uh, then in verses 9 through 11, we see uh, Christ ascending up into heaven. And the idea here is that uh, Christ is ascending to the throne room. He is being enthroned uh, over creation. And so even though this is the end of Jesus' physical involvement, apart from when we get to the Apostle Paul in chapter 9, uh, and we call this the Acts of the Apostles, it might not be inappropriate uh, to title this book the Acts of the Risen Jesus, because he is very much at work through all of this, uh, and he is ruling in heaven. In fact, Stephen, uh, in chapter 7, will see a vision of Christ standing beside the throne uh, in heaven. And so that's very much should be in the backgrounds of our minds as we're reading the entire book of Acts. This isn't just what the apostles are doing. This is what Christ is doing through his church. And so this is very much uh, the acts of Christ through his church. Well, like I said, chapter 2 plays a big role uh, here with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And so it's worth reading chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there are a number of, of things happening here, a number of uh, allusions back again to the Old Testament. Uh, we think about uh, the prophet who uh, hears you know, the whirlwind and all that sort of thing, and we have here the rushing of a mighty wind. Uh, but particularly this phrase about uh, the tongues of fire, uh, the divided tongues as of fire. Uh, where did this idea come from? Well, again, we turn back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 30. In Isaiah chapter 30, verses 27 through 33, through the end of the chapter, uh, I'll read this to you. Isaiah chapter 30, beginning in verse 27. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger, and his burden is heavy. His lips are full of indignation, and his tongue like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream, which reaches up to the neck, to sift the nations with the sieve of futility. And there shall be a bridle in the jaws of the people, causing them to err. 
You shall have a song as in the night when a holy festival is kept, and gladness of heart as when one goes with a flute to come into the mountain of the Lord, to the mighty one of Israel. The Lord will cause his glorious voice to be heard and show the descent of his arm with the indignation of his anger and the flame of a devouring, devouring fire, with scattering tempest and hailstone. For through the voice of the Lord, Assyria will be beaten down as he strikes with the rod. And in every place where the staff of punishment passes, which the Lord lays on him, it will be with tambourines and harps, and in battles of brandishing he will fight with it. For Tophet was established of old. Yes, for the king it is prepared. He has made it deep and large. Its pyre is fire with much wood. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of brimstone, kindles it. Now you can see there's a mention of fire, the breath of the Lord, wind, uh, tempest, uh, the name of the Lord, uh, the Lord causing his glory to be heard. All of these things are present uh, here at Pentecost. He even talks about coming to the mountain for a feast. That's exactly what the people have done. They have come to the mountain where Jerusalem is for the feast of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is now poured out upon the disciples and they begin to speak uh, with tongues. Now the one thing that we see there in Isaiah that we don't necessarily see here in Acts 2, but I believe it is there, is the idea that all of that was happening as God is judging a nation. Uh, and I think that we do see that here in Acts 2 because what happens is the disciples begin to speak with these other tongues, and so there's a crowd here that gathers uh, who has been dwelling in Jerusalem. They're from, there because of the feast, but they're from all these other nations, uh, both Jews and proselytes, and, and they hear them. They hear the disciples each speaking in their own language, uh, where they were born. It says in verse eight, and then in verse nine, Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia. Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. And so think back to that passage in Isaiah, uh, the glory of the Lord is being proclaimed uh, by tongues of fire as the Holy Spirit is poured out. Uh, but where is the judgment in this? Well, Peter begins to preach. Uh, to this gathered crowd, and, and he makes reference to Joel chapter 2 and the pouring out of the Spirit. And what Joel has done is even picked up on something that Moses said. Uh, if you'll remember, as the children of Israel are wandering in the wilderness, and Moses has got his hands full with them, uh, his father-in-law suggests that he uh, select some elders to help him uh, to govern the, the nation, and so the method by whereby they would choose who these elders would be would be uh, the Spirit of the Lord being poured out on them. And so in, in Numbers chapter 11, this happens, and we have the Spirit of the Lord poured out, and a number of men begin to prophesy, uh, but there are two men who weren't gathered there at the tabernacle of meeting. They're back in the camp, and they begin to prophesy as well. Uh, and so Joshua comes and tells Moses that this is happening, that these two men are prophesying in the camp, uh, and wants Moses to forbid them from doing so. And Moses' response in Numbers 11, verse 29, it says, Then Moses said to him, Are you zealous for my sake? Oh, that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. 
So that was Moses' wish, is that the Lord would pour out his spirit on all of his people. Joel then turns that into a prophecy saying that at the end of the age, this is what will happen. God will pour out his spirit on all of his people. And Peter references that prophecy in Joel and says it's happening this very day uh, here at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit is poured out upon his people. But you'll notice uh, here in chapter 2 when he quotes this passage from Joel, he says in verse 17, he's quoting from Joel chapter 2, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Peter says this is happening right now at Pentecost. Well, blood and fire, vapor of smoke, the sun darkened, the moon turned into blood. These are all... uh, images that are used throughout the Old Testament to signify God's judgment on a nation, particularly uh, as he prepares to judge and destroy a nation. And so what's happening here is a new nation is being raised up. The remnant of Israel who will believe on Christ, those who will call upon the name of the Lord and be saved, as Peter says, uh, are being raised up. But the ethnic nation of Israel, the geopolitical nation of Israel that rejects the Savior uh, is being judged for their rejection of Christ. In fact, uh, Paul later tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen just as they did from the Judeans. So he says the churches of Christ in Judea, the Jewish believers who believed in Christ, suffered at the hands of their own countrymen who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. So that's the picture that's happening here at Pentecost, is that those Jews who do not believe, who reject the Messiah, are coming under the judgment of God for having rejected his anointed one. But those who believe uh, will be saved. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's exactly what we see happen. Uh, 3,000 people are saved that day there at Pentecost, we're told in verse 41 of chapter 2. And so then as we move uh, on from that event uh, throughout the rest of the book, uh, we begin to see uh, healing in Jesus' name there in chapter 3. And so the name of Jesus is very much at the fore. They heal this man in Jesus' name. When they're asked about it, they say it was because of faith in Jesus' name that he is healed. Uh, And so Peter once again takes an opportunity to uh, preach. Uh, Peter and John are arrested uh, by the uh, Jewish leaders and and are being questioned by them. And so Peter preaches to them uh, and explains to them 
that they are going to preach in Christ's name even if they're forbidden to do so, just as Paul later says that they were. Uh, and so, in chapter 4, verse 4, um, as Peter preaches, it says, However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So we had 3,000 saved on the day of Pentecost. Now the number of men is 5,000. That's not counting women and children. Uh, so the church is growing there in Jerusalem. Uh, and so Peter and John are arrested. They are forbidden uh, to preach anymore in Christ's name. Uh, and what is the church doing uh, while this is happening? Well, we see in chapter 4, verse 31, um, that they, they're praying. This is what they do. They pray, and we'll see this repeatedly, that prayer is a very important aspect and part of the church's life here in the book of Acts. And verse, chapter 4, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So Peter and John have gotten uh, come out from their arrest, and they have come back to the rest of the disciples and explain to them what's happening, uh, and the church's response is to pray. Uh, and they're, once again, the Spirit is poured out, and, and they speak the Word of God with boldness. And that's a theme throughout the book of Acts, this bold preaching of the Word of God. So then we see in uh, chapter 5 um, that we have this, this interesting story of Ananias and Sapphira, that seems slightly out of place when we're considering uh, the themes of what else is going on here. But I think one purpose, at least, of this passage being included uh, is found in verse 9. Uh, after Ananias has already been uh, slain, uh, his wife comes in and Peter asks her, uh, tell me, did you sell the land for how much money? And she says, yes. And then in verse 9, then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord. And earlier he had told her husband that he had not lied to men, but he had lied to God. And so the point is uh, that this movement that is growing and spreading throughout Jerusalem is not, it's not happening because of Peter's dynamic personality. It is God who is doing this. It is a movement of God. It is his church. It's this movement of the spirit, not of man. And so the church continues to grow. And so we see uh, in verse 14, it says, And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so again, that point is being made. They're added to the Lord. They're not added to Peter. They're not added to uh, the church as some sort of man-made institution. They are added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women added to the Lord as the church begins to grow uh, there in Jerusalem. Well, then in chapter 5, verse 28, uh, we find the apostles once again on trial, uh, and the, the leaders question them, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And so remember that part one of Luke's organizing principles here is Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, the ends of the world. And we have reached this point now in the history when we're told that Jerusalem has been filled with the testimony of Christ. It's been filled with the doctrine of Jesus. And so it's about time for the message to begin to spread outside of Jerusalem. And so then at the end of chapter 5 there, uh, the 
Pharisees are trying to decide what to do about this movement that is taking over their city. And uh, so we have this piece of advice given to them by a Pharisee named Gamaliel. Uh, and he says this in verse 38. He says, And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Well, that was good advice, and I think the rest of the book of Acts proves him to be correct. Uh, But the Jewish leaders don't take his advice to heart, unfortunately. In chapter 6, we see um, that there are seven chosen uh, that we see. It says there in chapter 6, verse 1, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because the widow, their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So again, the number of disciples is multiplying. There's that word again. Uh, and, and so now the church has an issue. And so they appoint seven men uh, to help with this distribution of food to the widows there in, in Jerusalem amongst the church. Uh, and this is the appointment of the first deacons. Uh, and so... Uh, the word of God is spreading, things are growing, and so we see this in verse chapter 6, verse 7 is one of the first places where it says it's not just the church that's growing and spreading, but it says the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied, there's that word again, greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. So again, the spread of the word of God, the multiplication of disciples uh, as the church grows and fills Jerusalem with the doctrine of Christ. Well, then in that, that's about the, the end of this section in Jerusalem because the next uh, incident here is Uh, One of these seven men that was chosen as a deacon, Stephen, uh, is accused of blasphemy. And so Stephen's uh, trial, his sermon that he preaches, uh, and his martyrdom, his death, and the persecution that follow in it uh, cause the gospel to be spread outside the city limits of Jerusalem into the surrounding countryside. Uh, And so we see that... uh, Stephen was a man, we are told uh, in verse 8, full of faith and power, who did great wonders and signs among the people. Uh, So obviously he is filled with this spirit that has been poured out, the Holy Spirit of God. He's full of faith and power. He's doing signs and wonders among the people. Uh, Verse 10, we're told that uh, the Jewish leaders who disputed with him were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Uh, And so what do they do? They conjure up some false witnesses, accuse him of blasphemy, uh, and Stephen takes the opportunity uh, that he is given to defend himself to preach to them. Uh, Stephen's sermon here in chapter 7, he preaches the Bible. He starts pretty much at the beginning with Abraham, uh, and he preaches all the way up to Christ from there. He he gives them a history lesson uh, in the uh, glorious history of redemption. But he does a couple of interesting things here. Uh, partway through this in verse 37, uh, he's, he's gotten up to Moses uh, and, and he says, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. 
Uh, and so he mentions that prophecy of Moses, that there would come a greater prophet one day from among the nation. Well, then he begins to talk about uh, the kingdom and, and David and Solomon. And he gets to verse 47. Uh, and David wanted to build a house, but uh, he's not allowed to. And he says in verse 47, but Solomon built him a house. This is the temple. And then in verse 48, however, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? And so Stephen has referenced Moses' prophecy of a greater prophet. He's, he's referenced Solomon, the son of David, and says Solomon did not fulfill uh, this task of creating a house for the Lord. The temple cannot contain God. Uh, so there's a greater son who must complete this task, who must build a greater temple for the Lord to dwell in. Of course, he is pointing at Christ. And so he ends his sermon uh, with application, which is always good. Uh, but he's pretty direct with them. He says in verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. Now they knew exactly what he was talking about. The just one that they betrayed and murdered was Christ. And so they are furious with him. Uh, it says they gnash their teeth at him. Uh, and so they want to put him to death. But it's interesting, as they, as they come at him to put him to death, it says in verse 55, But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now this would have again been a reference back to Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 talking about the Son of Man uh, coming before the throne of the Ancient of Days. Uh, and so they're furious about this. They put Stephen to death. They stone him to death uh, and were introduced in the midst of this tragic incident to a person who will become one of the main characters of the rest of the book. It says, And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. So Saul, of course, will later become Paul, but he, he doesn't play a prominent role. Um, he plays a minor role here as a persecutor, persecutor in the wake of Stephen's death. Uh, it says, now Saul was consenting to this death, and at that time a great persecution arose against the church, was at, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So, again, we go back to chapter 1, verse 8. You'd be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So we've transitioned now into that place where they are being scattered out into Judea and Samaria to be witnesses and to fill that region with the doctrine of Christ just as they had filled Jerusalem. And so that's exactly what happens. Uh, Philip, another one of the seven, uh, goes down to Samaria. Uh, he preaches Christ there. We're told in chapter 8, verse 6, that multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles, which he did. So again, this word multitudes are, are coming to faith in Christ as the Messiah. And so then in, in verse 14, 
uh, through 17, it says, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So again, the Holy Spirit is now poured out on uh, these Samaritans. Now, we need to remember who the Samaritans are. They are uh, estranged from Israel, but they are of Jewish descent, although maybe intermarried, intermingled with some, some pagan people who were settled in that area by uh, Babylon and Assyria. So they're kind of looked at as second-class citizens. But Jerusalem and Judea would be basically the southern kingdom. Samaria would be the northern kingdom. And so all of Israel is being restored here by the word of God uh, going out and being preached to them. And so uh, that's what's happening. The Samaritans are coming to Christ. And we're told in chapter 8 verse 25 that uh, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans so they're filling Samaria with the doctrine of Christ the good news uh, is being preached uh, to Samaria and then in in verse 35 uh, we're told that uh, Philip is now meeting with an Ethiopian that he has come across And uh, as he speaks with this Ethiopian, it says in verse 35, Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. So the Ethiopian was reading something out of the book of Isaiah. And Philip takes this opportunity once again to preach Jesus. So uh, interestingly, uh, he's reading from Isaiah. And there's a passage in Isaiah that absolutely applies to this situation. And that would be Isaiah chapter 56, uh, beginning in verse 3. Uh, where the prophet writes and says, Do not let the son of the foreigner, which an Ethiopian would be, who has joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, which this Ethiopian was, Here Here I am, a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel says, Yet I will gather to him others, besides those who are gathered to him. Uh, So a foreigner, a eunuch, uh, an outcast, accepted by God, gathered to him, given a name better than that of son or daughter. And so we see all of that here uh, in this episode with the Ethiopian eunuch. But then we come to chapter 9 and and we find this man Saul uh, says, breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And so he goes to the high priest, he gets letters to begin arresting the Christians, uh, and he's going to Damascus to do that. He's, he has uh, wrecked havoc of the church in Jerusalem, and so he's going to the synagogue in Damascus, uh, intending to bring back whatever Christians he can find there to Jerusalem. And as he does so, he encounters the risen Lord uh, on the road to Damascus. 
he then goes into town and, and God speaks to this man Ananias and tells him to go to this man Saul, uh, relieve him of his blindness, and he doesn't want to go. He knows who this man is, uh, and he says, Lord, I have heard from many, this is in chapter 9, verse 13, I have heard from many uh, about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Uh, and so he is going to, Paul, Saul, is going to bear the name of Christ, uh, not only before the children of Israel, but before kings and before Gentiles. And so we're moving towards uh, the, the gospel being taken to the nations at this point. And so what does Saul do upon receiving his sight? Uh, it says in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. And so he begins to preach uh, Jesus as the Christ. He begins to prove to them from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ, it says in verse 22. Uh, and then we're told in chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So, again, we're seeing our themes here. Uh, Judea and Samaria and the church multiplied. There's that word again. Uh, and so beginning at this point now, we are uh, moving into this section where God's glory is being taken to the ends of the earth. And this section could be subdivided uh, into two sections, one dealing with the Apostle Peter, one dealing with the Apostle Paul. So Peter here in uh, chapter 9, verse 32 through chapter 12, uh, Peter takes the gospel uh, and begins to go to the nations. Uh, it says in verse 32 that Peter went through all the parts of the country that he came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydda. Uh, and then in verse 36, he's in Joppa. Uh, and then in chapter 10, a certain man of Caesarea uh, calls for Peter to come to him. So if we were to look at these places on a map, we would see that Peter has left Jerusalem and he is headed northwest out of Jerusalem, uh, further and further away from Jerusalem, all the way over to Caesarea, which is on the seacoast. Uh, and he is heading towards the, the outer boundaries of Israel, headed towards the nations. And of course, uh, this man that he meets in Caesarea is a Gentile. This certain man, it says in chapter 10, verse 1, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. So he is an Italian. He, he's a Gentile. Uh, but then it goes on to say, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. Uh, so he, he's a, a God-fearer. Uh, he's not necessarily a proselyte. He's not converted to Judaism, but he is a God-fearer. And so uh, Peter has moved further and further away from the safety of Jerusalem, moving towards the nations, toward the Gentile lands. Uh, and so uh, he is called to come and, and to share the word of God with these Gentiles. And so when he gets there, uh, in chapter 10, verse 34, uh, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. 
so in, in every nation. And so now we're, we're going to the ends of the earth at this point. And so in, as Peter preaches the gospel to them, it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So the, the Spirit has been poured out again, but this time not on Jewish people, but on Gentiles. And so the gospel is truly going to the ends of the earth. The Gentiles have received uh, the word of God. They have received the Holy Spirit. Uh, and so it says in chapter, one, chapter 11, verse 1, Now the apostles and brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. Uh, and so uh, they begin to question Peter about this when he returns to Jerusalem. Uh, and Peter explains to them what has happened, that these Gentiles heard the gospel of Christ and that they received the Spirit. And it says in verse 18, when they heard these things, they became silent and they glorified God saying, then God is also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. And so the, the Jewish Christians recognize that, that God has included the Gentiles in this new people of God that, that he is uh, creating as his church. And so they glorify God for this. Well, then uh, the story shifts now to Antioch. Uh, Antioch is a place where it tells us in verse 19, Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word but no, to no one but the Jews only. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. So Hellenists are Greeks. Uh, they preached the Lord, and it says that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. And so uh, they end up with a church in Antioch. Uh, Barnabas is sent there by the believers in Jerusalem. He goes and gets Saul and brings him back to, Jeru back to Antioch, uh, and they begin to uh, teach and preach uh, Christ in the church there. Uh, and it says in verse 25 and 26, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to seek Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So again, we have a great many people, a multitude being taught, and they're now known by this name of Christian. The action then shifts back to uh, Herod and Peter in Jerusalem. Herod kills James, uh, and then he imprisons Peter. Uh, when Peter is uh, released by an angel from the prison, uh, he comes back uh, to where the disciples are. They're praying for him, uh, and this story always kind of makes me chuckle uh, because the people are praying that because Peter is in prison, and they're praying that Peter would be released, presumably, uh, and so Peter is released. He comes and knocks. And when he knocks and the servant girl uh, answers and sees that it's him, uh, it says that she ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're beside yourself. You're crazy. Can't you see that we're praying for that man? Leave us alone. But she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, well, it's his angel. It's some sort of spirit, right? Uh, but now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished, 
They were praying for him, and they're shocked that God answered their prayer. Uh, it, just, it always makes me laugh, but, uh, you know, we're probably no better than they are in that regard. But, um, but interestingly, uh, Peter's now been released, and so it tells us in chapter 12, verse 24, uh, after Herod has been judged and, and killed by God in a very dramatic way, and verse 24 it says, But the word of God grew and multiplied. Uh, so once again, it is the word of God, and it has grown and it is multiplied. We're seeing that word multiplied, multitudes, over and over again. Uh, so what happens now is that we go back to Antioch and the church there, uh, and the rest of the story now is taken up with the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys. Uh, the Spirit speaks through the leaders at the church, tells them to set Barnabas and Saul aside uh, that he has work for them to do. Uh, it's interesting to me that they were ministering before the Lord and fasting when the Holy Spirit spoke to them and told them to do this. And even after the Spirit spoke to them, it says, then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So uh, they weren't rash about this, even though the Holy Spirit spoke to them. They said, let's pray about this, let's fast about this, make sure we're certain. And then they send them off. And so this is the beginning of Paul's missionary journeys. And so uh, it says in verse 4, they're sent out by the Holy Spirit. Uh, of course, working through his church. But they're sent, uh, and Saul and, and Barnabas go. Uh, they go around the northeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, preaching the gospel and all these different cities that they come to. Uh, and gent to, they go to the synagogues, but they also preach uh, to the Gentiles. We see this uh, in chapter, we're going to skim through some of this, but in chapter 13, uh, verse 42 um, says, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So we see Gentiles who are hungry uh, for the message of Christ, the good news of Jesus, uh, to be preached to them. And so then in chapter 13, verse 46, uh, the Jews are rejecting the message of Paul. Uh, it says they're filled with envy in verse 45 and opposing the things that Paul has spoke. And so in verse 46, then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. And so Paul and Barnabas' ministry uh, begins to take on this new flavor as they turn to the Gentiles. And so in verse 47, uh, he then quotes from that passage in Isaiah that we read earlier, uh, where speaking uh, the, the Lord, he says, So the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And the interesting thing is that passage in Isaiah is speaking about the suffering servant, the, the servant of Isaiah, which we identify as Christ. But Paul says the Lord has commanded us. So this is still very much going back to that idea that this is Christ working through his church, that the church is doing Christ's work. Uh, and that is taking the gospel to the Gentiles as a light to the Gentiles. And so uh, we see that the Gentiles uh, hearing the word, glorifying God in verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as have been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. 
And so from this point on, uh, we again see multitudes in chapter 14, verse 1, uh, that are coming to faith, both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, they preach the gospel in chapter 14, verse 21, and there, there are many disciples uh, in the city uh, where they're at. And so they appoint elders in the churches that they visited in these various cities, and they return back to Antioch at the end of chapter 14 uh, to report back to the church the progress of what happened on this missionary journey. Well, then chapter 15 is taken up with the Jerusalem Council where there is some question about the gospel going to the Gentiles and what that looks like and do the Gentiles need to observe the Old Covenant laws and forms. And, and so we have the Jerusalem Council uh, where it's decided the Gentiles do not need to be circumcised. And so after the Jerusalem Council, uh, we have Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, and so it's interesting we said the first time he was sent out by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit spoke through the, the teachers there at the church in Antioch and sent them out. But then in chapter 15, verse 36, it says, Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. So this seems like Paul is initiating something here on his own. Uh, but the interesting thing is they have a falling out about John Mark, uh, and so they, they part ways. But Paul, it says in verse 40, Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So even though it was Paul's initiative and Paul's idea to go back and revisit these churches, the church in Antioch commends him to the work. So Paul's not out just kind of doing his own thing. This church in Antioch is still serving as his home base and as his sending church. And so uh, he goes out uh, back to uh, these churches that he has visited. Uh, he picks up Timothy along the way there in chapter 16. And in chapter 16, verse 10, uh, when he is heading towards Macedonia, uh, all this time, as Luke has written this, it's been then he did this, then they did that. We get to verse 10. It says, Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So all of a sudden Luke is now writing in first person. He's part of the team that's with Paul. Uh, and so they go and, and continue this missionary journey. Uh, they go a little bit further uh, west than they had been on the first missionary journey. Uh, they end up in Macedonia. They end up in Philippi. And of course, we have uh, the example, the, the famous incident here in chapter 16 of Paul and Silas being imprisoned, singing hymns in prison. Uh, and God causes the prison to open. The Philippian jailer fears for his life, but they're still there. And so he takes them home. They preach the gospel uh, to this Philippian jailer. And verse 34, uh, verse 33, it says that uh, then he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, this is one of those passages that our Presbyterian brothers and sisters will point at and go, household baptism. Uh, there must have been infants included, but verse 34 says, Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. All his household believed in God before they were baptized. Uh, so I don't think there were any infants in that household that were baptized. That's a little aside, a little extra there on the subject of baptism. But um, 
This is, uh, this is Paul's second missionary journey. He continues. He goes to Thessalonica in chapter 17, uh, where again we see great multitudes uh, that, that are persuaded in verse 4. Uh, some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Then he goes to Berea uh, in, in verses 10 uh, through 15. And in Berea, it says, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Uh, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. And so, again, we have many, we have a multitude believing, both Jew and Gentile. Uh, Paul then leaves Berea, he goes to Athens, and it is here where he uh, confronts the Athenian philosophers on Mars Hill. Uh, he goes from Athens to Corinth. Uh, he spends some amount of time in Corinth. And again, uh, we are told in verse t- 9 and 10, Paul is a little bit discouraged at the ministry here. And so it says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you or hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Uh, and so Paul stays for another year and a half uh, teaching the word of God to the people in Corinth. And of course, we know that there's a church uh, that ends up being planted in Corinth. And then Paul returns uh, back to Jerusalem midway through chapter 18. So he, he goes to Jerusalem uh, for a, a feast that he's wanting to be there for. Uh, and so then he ends up back in uh, Antioch again. And he leaves on his third missionary journey uh, in chapter 18, verse 23. Uh, he says, after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order strengthening all the disciples. So he's going back over some of that same territory that he's visited before. Uh, he goes to Ephesus, preaching and teaching. Uh, he's at, in Ephesus for some time. Of course, we have uh, the riot that happens there. Uh, and Paul leaves Ephesus and heads to Macedonia and goes to Troas and Miletus in chapter 20. Chapter 20. Uh, and then in chapter 20, verse 17, he calls the Ephesian elders, the elders from the church there in Ephesus, to come down and meet with him. Uh, he speaks with them, encourages them. Uh, they experience a tearful goodbye. But once again, the word of God is mentioned because uh, Paul talks that he is not shrunk from proclaiming to them the full counsel of God. And then in verse 32, he says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And remember, again, he's speaking to Gentiles uh, from Ephesus. Uh, and so, again, Luke's part of Luke's purpose here is to encourage Gentile believers that you are part of the body of Christ, part of what Christ is doing in the world through his church. Paul then heads back uh, to Jerusalem in chapter 21. And while he's there, he's in the temple, he's arrested on some false charges. uh, And the rest of the book of Acts is taken up with uh, Paul's being basically put on trial by different people. Uh, And an interesting thing here is that uh, he speaks in chapter uh, 24 uh, to the governor, Felix, 
chapter 24, verse 10, Then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, uh, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. And then he takes this opportunity to try and preach uh, to these various people. He preaches to Felix, he preaches to Festus, uh, he preaches to Agrippa. And if we'll remember when Paul met Christ on the road to Damascus and Christ sent Ananias to him, he told Ananias that Christ would bear my name before Israel before kings and before Gentiles. And so we're seeing Paul has gone to the synagogues. He's now proclaiming uh, to kings, to governors and rulers uh, about Christ. And obviously he has gone to the Gentiles as well. In chapter 27, we have what no one else calls, but I will call Paul's fourth missionary journey. And that is he is sent to Rome as a prisoner. Uh, And he has quite a time getting there. Uh, shipwrecks and all sorts of things happens. There's a tempest, uh, but Paul ends up in Rome. And when he gets to Rome, uh, he wants to continue the work of preaching and teaching. And so he does what he usually does, and that is as he tries to gather uh, the Jews who are in Rome and to proclaim the gospel to them, proclaim the Messiah from the Old Testament. And so we see in chapter 28, uh, verse 25, Uh, that says when they did not agree among themselves, they departed after Paul had said one word. The Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah the prophet to our father, saying, Go to this people and say, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, and their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. So Paul is in Rome. He's preaching the gospel at the ends of the earth, literally, to the Gentiles. When we see all of these mentions throughout the book of Acts to the word of God, uh, that it is spoken with boldness, that it spreads, uh, that disciples multiplied, that the word of God grew and multiplied uh, over and over again, we saw those concepts and those very words used. I think Luke's intention is to draw our minds back to the original commission given to Adam and Eve in the garden to be fruitful and multiply and to fill the earth. They failed to do that as they should have. And all through the history of the Old Testament, we see that failure redone, even by national Israel. They should have been a kingdom of priests taking, mediating the glory of God to the nations, and they failed to do that. But here, Christ working through his church, his word, grows and multiplies and fills the earth, starting in Jerusalem, going to Judea and Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth, as multitudes become disciples and believe on Christ because of the testimony of the apostles, fulfilling that original commission given to Adam and Eve as a new humanity is created in Christ by faith. Let's pray.